This podcast is a production of WVU Student Media. You're listening to the Haunted Halls of WVU. Elizabeth Moore Hall sits on the WVU downtown campus. Although its red bricks and white pillars hint at its age, taking a look inside will reveal more than its architecture. However, the story of Elizabeth doesn't just start with her hauntings. To understand why Elizabeth Moore still roams the corridors of E. Moore Hall, we must go back to April 28, 1863. Appalachian storyteller Jason Burns is here to tell the true story of this haunted hall. April of 1863, the Confederate Army had a raid into West Virginia called the jones Imboden Raid. So there were a lot of people in town that day when the Confederate Army just decided to show up. What they were really trying to do was, in addition to steal, find horses and food and stuff like that for the troops, was they were trying to terrorize the population. Because also at this time, the representatives were all meeting on a regular basis to discuss the creation of West Virginia as a state. And they wanted to stop that. One of the main goals of coming to Morgantown was they were trying to capture Senator Waitman T. Willie, who you'll probably know the name, Waitman and Willie are both streets in Morgantown. And Waitman T. Willie lived in Morgantown. His house is actually still uh, existing over here on uh, one of the streets near South High Street and his law offices in Court Square. And when they got to Morgantown, they stopped at the hotel then, and it was right in front of the hotel where a lot of Mrs. Moore's students were having lunch that day. All these, you know, well-dressed young ladies walk out and they see these soldiers. I think it was like 1,500 soldiers or something like that. And, And so they're terrified. All except for the one. There's this one the one girl with brunette. She was in the back of the group and she was like, Okay, what's going on? And she got up front and she was just like just kinda of stood there and the captain of the guard looked down at her and he asked her, he's like, uh, can you tell us where we can find Senator Waitman T. Lilly? And she goes, Well, what would you do with him if you had him? And he says, well, we would give him an armed escort back to Richmond to give him the finest cell in all of the Confederacy. She said something to the effect of, I'm sorry, but your uh, your mission is going to be thwarted because uh, Senator Willie is in Wheeling right now. He's no longer in Morgantown. Really ticked him off. They couldn't capture him that day, so they started burning Morgantown. They set fire to a lot of things and stole a bunch of horses and food and stuff from the local people who were there. And of course, there's pandemonium. You know, people were running off already from the soldiers who've come into town. There were some who actually tried to defend the city of Morgantown against the the uh, soldiers who were raiding it. But what they didn't realize is that the girl that they were talking to, the, the one the captain spoke to and who informed him about Waitman 2 Willie, was actually Waitman 2 Willie's daughter. So, you know, they could have had a, a perfectly fine prisoner right there, but she was smart enough to not say, hey, you know, it's my dad, what the hell do you want? And uh, she went back to the seminary with the rest of them. But yeah, they went back to the seminary and, you know, the soldiers are burning Morgantown and they're burning the three or four houses that were on High Street and the bar. They burned down the only bar in Morgantown. It was the only time in history Morgantown town's not had a bar on high street and then uh the only thing really the university wasn't here then so the only thing uh outside of morgantown that they really caught their eye was the seminary and they they saw it because it was on the hill over here woodburn you know it was the only thing on woodburn circle and it was white plaster you know it's 
standing out amongst the trees. And, you know, they're thinking it's going to look great with smoke billowing out the windows. <laughs> so they go up there with these torches. And by the time they made it up there, the young ladies from the academy, they'd already gotten back. And they told Elizabeth what was going on. And Elizabeth's like, oh, what am I going to do? And then she comes with this masterful plan. This woman was brilliant. I can't stress that enough. She's like one of my heroes. This lady is like badass with a capital B. I, I, I hope that if any point in anybody's life that they have amount of stress, they come up with what she did and just pull it out of themselves. So when they got up there, uh, Elizabeth's like, okay. She goes to Mrs. Green, who is the cook. Um, Mrs. Green and Elizabeth went to the cupboard, guard, or cupboard kitchen, whatever they had, and they got out all the food, all the uh, good silver, the china, the, the like most perfect tablecloth they had, and they put it all out in the dining area for the girls, and they set it all out. And when the soldiers showed up at the door and they were going to burn the academy down. Um, Elizabeth met them at the front door and <laughs> she, she just looks them straight in the eye, looks at the captain straight in the eye and says, welcome gentlemen, won't you come in and have some tea? And she invited the Confederate army to tea in the middle of the raid on Morgantown where everyone else is being shot, burned, you know, robbed. Elizabeth invites the, the soldiers to tea and it worked. It worked. She literally had them in the dining hall eating with her. The others were out on the lawn. She was the, um, she and Mrs. Green went around with bandages and she covered their wounds and things like that and just played nice with them. And when they left, they thanked her and she didn't lose a silver spoon off that table when they left. They left everything alone. Which, I mean, if you think about it, you want to think that you would not do that, but playing nice is sometimes smarter than picking up a gun. Because she would have stood no chance against that. And during, the, during that whole time, she had the students hiding in the basement of Woodburn Academy. And I, I just thought, I was like, wow, one misstep and she could have lost everything. But she didn't. She kept it together. And that takes some doing. You know, that takes some gall. When that was over, she kept going with the school and the school kept going until, and you know, West Virginia became a state in 1863 and Waitman T. Willie was still the senator and he still lived in Morgantown. And you know, her, her girls went back to wherever they came from after they, you know, as they went. And then the state of West Virginia created its own university. And that happened in 1867, four years later. When you do the research, it's really sad how the end of the school happened. I, there's a whole romantically written story about how Woodburn Academy shut down after it was sold to the state and how the girls all left. It, 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 it's just this romantic vision of carriages and hoop skirts, you know, going off into the sunset. <laughs> I don't know if it actually happened that way, but it's, it's the way it's written up, it's, it's like this grand tragedy. But it was really the birth of the university. Elizabeth stayed in Morgantown and she actually, I do, I don't, I didn't find anything that in the records that said this, but I think she actually was a consultant for the people creating the university because she had a lot of education experience. And I think the reason that Morgantown was given the university some people say, you know, they bid for it and all that. Well, maybe they did, but I think the reason that they wanted the university more than anything is because there was such a center of learning here already um, with the men's school and the women's academy. When Elizabeth was, you know, helping with the university, you know, it kept going on. She never really worked for the school, but her daughter 
did. And when the university was creating, you know, the student body and things like that, you know, it wasn't very big at first. It was a couple thousand, which is amazing considering what it is now. <laughs> but you had Elizabeth telling them, you know, hey, this is what we need to do. This is this, you know, kind of influencing. And you, you had that wisdom. You had that lady who stood down the Confederate Army, um, probably look at the, looking at whatever the Board of Governors was then and saying, you know, what if we tried it this way? Just that very diplomatic way of, of doing things. And, and I think that's what really makes her such a powerful person in my mind is that she's, she was diplomatic, but yet she got stuff done and she was very intelligent and she knew what needed to happen to help get uh, education, not just for everybody, but especially for women at the university. And I think it was part of her influence maybe that, I don't know this for sure, but I, I like to think that it was part of her influence that uh, W accepted his first female student in 1899. So that was a, a big accomplishment considering women didn't get to vote until 1920. It's, you know, it's, it took a while for, for women to really be accepted at the university. There's a lot of records saying how badly they were treated and about the, you know, the, the resources they were not given or, you know, the things they were given, which weren't much at first. But then they built Emore Hall. And Emore Hall was, uh, well, it's Elizabeth Moore Hall. Then you had, uh, Elizabeth was still here. So she was still at the university and she was helping, you know, say, hey, you know, the building should have this, the building should have this, it should have this, and it should look like this. And so she was helping, you know, design it and set out, you know, the resources it should contain and the things that it should have. It was basically just to put it in today's terminology, it was a safe space for women to be at the university. So we had, you know, there basically the female student union right there in the middle of campus. And what is really interesting about it is that Elizabeth died around the same time that it was completed. So even though she saw it built and designed and decorated and she saw people beginning to use it, she didn't get to see its actual effect on the university because she passed away. But even though she died, there are many, 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 many people over the last century that have seen Elizabeth in Emore that have heard her have had her help them do different things and it all fits into a really good like you can see Elizabeth's personality even though she's passed away like you can see her her mind as an academic person as a as a higher ed leader uh, you can see that working Honestly, all of the stories that I've heard about Elizabeth in Emore Hall are stories told by women. She's hardly ever appeared to a man unless that man is in the company of a woman. So you can't uh, walk in, like I couldn't walk into Emore and be, hey Elizabeth, and then like, you know, have something happen. One example of the sighting is that there's a swimming pool in the bottom of Emore, and it's very small. And there were, um, there were two people in it, and there was a, a man and a woman, and they were just swimming around in the pool. And they happened to just kind of stop for a minute and look up, and there was Elizabeth's ghost just fluttering over the water next to them, looking down at them, watching them. And they kind of got spooked. And uh, But the whole thing is she's chaperoning their date, you know. She's saying a girl shouldn't be with a guy unless, you know, they're chaperoned. That's the way things were in Elizabeth's day. You didn't go out with, with a boy with... <laughs> without somebody there to watch him or, you know. So it's it's that kind of thing. 
that still happens. And it's an interesting way, if you start building the story around the way you put yourself in her shoes and you'll get more out of the story. And I mean, there's so many stories about Emar, so many stories. I, I couldn't possibly go through all of them, my voice would give out. But there's so many. The one that I always told on the ghost tour is that there's a staircase in Emar when you go in, it's to the right. And there's a story of one of the women who worked in Emar about 20 years ago. She would tell the story about how she saw Elizabeth's figure climb the stairs and as she climbed the stairs she would vanish um so she would vanish from her head down though so as she went up the stairs you know she would disappear you know down to her shoulders and her waist and her you know her legs and then at the top of the stairs all that would be left would be her little black button shoes and then they would just vanish completely and it was just the thing that kept happening. It probably still does happen. It's it's just one of those things that happens there. I think she's just honestly keeping the place going, keeping it up. In Emor, uh, there's a there's a lot of French doors on the first floor and some big windows. And they're all, now they've got these curtains that are attached top and bottom. But at one point, I guess they were loose on the bottom. And the same lady who saw her walk the staircase uh, saw, she was at her desk and she said all the lights on the phone lit up. And she saw like in the distance walking away from her, Elizabeth, and she was walking by all the windows on the first floor. And she said that the curtains were really strange because they were sticking straight out perpendicular to the windows and they were stiff as a board, just stiff. As Elizabeth walked by them, as her ghost walked by them, they would fall back to the bottom of the window and just hang there like they had always done. And I was like, now why in the heck would a ghost be pulling the curtains out from the window? And it makes perfectly good sense if you think about it because she, Elizabeth was just cleaning her house. She was ironing the curtains. You know, she's keeping those curtains straight. And there's no wrinkles in those curtains, I bet. You could go in there. They've been ghostly steamed. But things like that happen there all the time. Another story an employee of Emore Hall told us is that she was working when she saw a head with gray-white hair next to the Christmas tree. But when she looked again, it was gone. Tammy Allen, a former employee of Emore Hall, also had a pretty haunting experience with Elizabeth. My name is Tammy Allen and I was a program coordinator senior in student life communications. I came to work one day like I do every day and I have a weird phobia of rats and spiders and I had a closet that was right behind my desk and it was just a habit every day when I would come in I would check and make sure the door was locked. So that morning I was working on a press release and wasn't really paying attention to much other than the press release and all of a sudden my hair started blowing. And while I was deep in thought on the press release, I just figured the window was open. But then I realized that my window was sealed shut. It was closed and it didn't open. So I turned around to see why my hair was blowing. So when I turned around to the left, it happened very quickly. I noticed that the closet door that I had checked to see if it was locked, it was opened. And as I turned around, it was right when I looked at the door, it slammed shot in my face. It was very violent, very loud. So I I was scared. So I grabbed my stuff and I went downstairs and it was I didn't even have to say anything. The the staff 
downstairs asked me what had happened. So I explained to him, and we had a student worker that liked to tease and joke around. So he was teasing me, and he said, let's go up and check it out. So when we went up, the door was locked again, but not only was it locked, he unlocked it and tried to open the door, and the door wouldn't budge. And so he was a little freaked out, and he was scared as well. So, I mean, we talked about it, and, you know, everybody sort of forgot about it, except for me. <laughs> every every morning when I come to work, I'd think about it. And once again, not that it mattered, I'd make sure the door was locked. But then the, the story continued. Um, my husband and I had just bought a new house out off the Grafton Road, sort of out in the country, rural. And right after that, I would lie in bed, and I would hear sounded like somebody walking down our hallway which was a hard hardwood floor um I heard it a few nights and then one night I heard a a loud boom it almost sounded like someone had fallen so I checked on my older daughter but she was sound asleep and the boom was so loud that it made my younger daughter which was still an infant in a crib she started crying but nothing had moved nothing had fallen so I at the time told my husband you know I I keep hearing someone walking in the hallway at night I heard it sounded like someone fell a loud boom and he told me I was crazy that I was dreaming I didn't really hear anything but I was certain that I did and then about a week later the house was new and he was down in the family room painting the walls and all of a sudden it was storming and he comes up holding the uh, paint roller up in the air and he looked like I did after my experience with the closet door in Emore Hall and he looked at me and said okay you're not crazy you're right and I said what and he just looked really frightened he said there is somebody in the house he said I was painting and I heard something and I turned around and there was a what appeared to be a vision of a lady in a white lace dress and black high boots with with laces laced up boots and then I was really scared because it was what people had reported that they had seen at times in Emore Hall. What made it even more frightening or interesting was that he had never heard the stories but he had described this vision exactly what people have described as being seen in Emore Hall. My favorite part of it though is the picture. The picture of Elizabeth in the lounge on the first floor right when you go in the door it's on the left i mean if you take two steps in the door you're going to miss it because it's like the first step in the door look to your left because she's right there staring at you as you walk in the building and that is an actual photograph of her it's an actual black and white photograph in my research i've been reading about elizabeth more and but i was reading about how she was you know she stood up against the army and how she was you know she kept going you know after the death of her husband stayed in town and you know ran the school and you know took over and then helped the university start and all this stuff and i'm like holy crap this is one amazing person you know to do this and i had this picture in my mind built up about what she would look like because i had not seen a picture of her yet been into the building before but i'd never noticed that there was pictures of her hanging in there i finally took notice of the picture and to me when i see the picture of her it reminds me of mrs santa claus this this whole thing this whole visage that she had helped her probably her whole life because she had this way of disarming people 
you know, because they're all thinking, oh, this is just sweet little grandma. And then when they get into a meeting with her or when, you know, she's in the doorway of her school and there's an army and she's like, oh, no, you are not doing this. It's just that disarming power of she looks so sweet, but inside she's really strong. And that's that's what I'm like, holy crap, that's what I want to be. You know, that's the person you want to be is that person who can get stuff done but not look like a horrible person doing it. Just doing things, doing good things for people, you know, and at the same time, you know, doing it in a way that's not, doesn't make people angry, doesn't make them want to kill you and burn your school down. There's a story from, I'm not sure what era of time, but I would think the 70s or 80s where someone at the university wanted to change the photo of Elizabeth with a, a man who worked here, who was one of the, the uh, administrators here and they did they they took her picture down and they hung it somewhere else in in the building and they hung his picture by the door where her picture had been and elizabeth didn't like that her picture had been hanging there for probably 50 or 60 years you know and uh, they came in the next morning and uh, elizabeth's picture was back on the wall where it was before and his picture was on the floor beneath it leaning up against the wall and Everyone was like, okay, someone didn't like this. You know, it was a prank. They just, you know, put her picture back in. Because it was very controversial, you know. So it kept happening and happening and happening over and over. I don't, I don't know how long it went on for, but it went on for a long enough time that rumors started about it's not anyone who works here. It's literally the ghost of Elizabeth. We know she's doing it. And so finally they said, all right, this has got to stop. So they, so they, they took the picture of Elizabeth and they locked it in a closet in Emore. And they took the picture of the, the other guy and they hung it back on the nail where they wanted it. And then they sent everybody home. They locked the building. They watched it all night long. And they're like, okay, no one gets in or out. And we're going to settle this once and for all if it's somebody or if it's a ghost. And when they came in the next morning, they found Elizabeth hanging back on the wall. The closet was wide open, the door was just wide open, unlocked, and the guy's picture was beneath her on the floor leaning up against the wall again. And that's when they decided they were never moving Elizabeth's picture again because she obviously didn't like it. And that's that's my favorite one about Emor was the picture. But yeah, that's basically the ghost story of Emor. You know, you could go there and you could see her walk in the balcony, over the pool. She plays in the dance studio. Even though the dance studio is a later addition to the building, she still goes into the dance studio. She's like, okay, someone built this addition onto my house. I'm going to go back here and check it out and make sure it looks good. And, you know, everything from, I mean, she would make, back before you could program a coffee pot, she made coffee for the people that worked there. They would come in in the morning and there would be pots of coffee. And they'd be like, who made this? Well, it's been Elizabeth. And it happened all the time. And, you know, it's like uh, crazy. I mean, the water in the bathroom turns on. You'll hear voices. You'll hear step people walking the stairs. It's definitely the most haunted building on campus. The thing is, Elizabeth is, she's so, she's still doing her job. She's still being a good person, even though she's not a person <laughs> anymore as much. But I think, you know, her legacy is more than that building. Her legacy is is that she's helped countless women get educations that you know through WVU simply because of the work she did when she was alive. You know, and then the fact that she's through the story that I just told that she's still living and giving 
strength to people who've heard the story. Because I was like, holy crap, she stood down an army. One person, you know? They're like, one person can't make a difference. Oh, yeah, tell it to Elizabeth, you know? So it's, it's a pretty powerful story, I think. And I, it's one of my favorite ones. I put that together over, my goodness, 10 years? different people that I talk to, interviews and things like that. And I mean, some of the people don't even work here anymore. Um, I'm sure some of them probably have passed away. But yeah, I just like the story. It's my favorite one. Well, I mean, there's always been this, there'd always been this story of saying, oh, Emor is haunted. Like, that's what I would hear. And I would say, well, how do you know it's haunted? Like, who's haunting it? What's haunting it? And, you know, you'd get one person would tell you, oh, it's Elizabeth. Well, who's Elizabeth? You know, <laughs> it's the person's named after. Oh, well, what does she do? And then, you know, you talk to another person. They'd be like, well, I saw her climb the stairs. Or you talk to another person. Well, she made coffee. Or, you know, she, you know, all, all these different bits and pieces. But if you take all of them and put them into the one story. And then I found just records of, you know, the the raid on Morgantown. How she came to live here and her life and things like that that happened to her while she was here and there there's so many little bits and pieces that go into making that whole story work i mean there's parts of it that i've left out because there's too much but it's just more evidence you know there's nothing that negates anything else about her it's it's all just feeds into this massive story of the person she was and the the work she accomplished and then you know her afterlife so it's it's just amazing you know it's an amazing story this podcast was produced by savon hunter to listen to more podcasts from the da go to the daonline.com slash podcasts this podcast is a production of wvu student media